Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Today we'll be in Titus chapter 3, if you want to follow along. This will be our last week in Titus. And I want to focus on one word, the very first word Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. Uh, Paul instructs Titus with this one word, remind. He starts by saying, remind the believers. There's a whole field of study in psychology called habituation. Habituation is the tendency of an organism to stop noticing or responding to something that's part of its environment for a prolonged period of time. It just doesn't notice it after a while. For instance, when you start wearing a watch, uh, the first day you ever wear a watch, you notice it all day. But eventually, unless you look at it, you're not even aware it's there or you move into a new house or apartment, the first day you move in, you have a list of things that you have to fix or paint or change because you know you could not stand to live with those things. Uh, Maybe you've been living in your home for years and you still have that list. You just habituated, Uh, you just got used to it. When we moved into the home we're living in, uh, there was a broken tile in the shower. And I remember when we moved in saying something like, the first thing on the list is to replace that broken tile in the shower. Uh, It's still there three years later. And the only reason I remembered it is because I'm talking to you about habituation. I actually had to check to see if it was still broken or if I had replaced it. I couldn't remember. We have cats that tear up our furniture. Uh, One of the chairs is falling apart, uh, but we've kind of learned to live with it. Uh, It's not a nice looking chair, it's actually kind of an old dirty looking chair, but we've just gotten used to it. We hardly even notice it until we have guests over. Uh, That's when we realize how ugly it is. Uh, Habituation is a very powerful force, Uh, but it doesn't just happen with the environment you live in. Uh, It can be one of the greatest challenges of our spiritual life. It happens like this. You hear one day about the wonder of salvation, about the miracle of God's grace, about his unconditional love for you, about being right with him, about uh, being forgiven of your sins, being accepted and adopted as his child. And it's all you can think about. Your mind keeps going back to it. You remember it and you get all choked up every time it comes to mind. But over time, what can happen is you stop being overwhelmed. You get used to the idea that your sins are forgiven. You don't even really notice that God is present with you all the time. Uh, You grow accustomed to the fact that you have the Bible, God's word, available to you. Uh, You get used to the church, to worship, to community. And what was once a wonder of salvation becomes like the watch on your wrist. It's still there, but for large chunks of time, you don't even notice. Now there's an added danger with this. Not only is it possible for Christians to get used to the wonder of salvation and the gift of God's grace, uh, I can get used to the presence of sin in my life. Usually when someone becomes a Christian, something inside of them says, there are some things about this house that have got to change. Uh, Some repair work needs to get done. Some habits have got to go. At an early stage of faith, we don't even know what all those changes are. 
We just know that whatever we need to do to make our souls a fit home for the Christ who died for us, we must do it. We have a list. And maybe you still have your list. Over time, a bad thing happens to people like you and me relative to sin and spiritual mediocrity. And that is, you just learn you can live with it. Uh, It's like the dirty old ripped up chair. There's no beauty or joy or wonder about it. It just gets you, we just get used to it. Uh, You hardly even notice it anymore. And so Paul says at the beginning of this passage in Titus, remind the people, tell them to remember. Uh, Now in the first two verses, he instructs Titus to remind people about some basic obedience. And we'll return to the obedience part in this passage in just a moment. I wanna look at uh, verses three uh, and following for a moment because in verses three and following, he reminds them of the wonder of salvation. Uh, Titus 3, 3 through 7 is generally regarded by biblical scholars as perhaps the most succinct statement in all of the New Testament about the doctrine of salvation, about the wonder of salvation. Uh, If you listened last week, you may remember I talked about what doctrine means. Uh, It simply means the way things are. Uh, It's teaching about the way things are. Jesus came to teach the truth about the way things are the way things are with God, the way things are with life, with human beings, with creation, with sin. Uh, That's what doctrine is. It's teaching about the way things are. Uh, So we're gonna look today at the doctrine of salvation. The apostle Paul says, remind them about the wonder of salvation. And so I wanna spend the next few moments remembering with you. Uh, Put everything else aside, your work, your relationships, the things that you have to do, your money. Let's spend the next few moments remembering again the wonder of salvation. Uh, Look with me at verse 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. Uh, The wonder of salvation starts, first of all, with the doctrine of sin, our need for salvation. Uh, We have to understand the doctrine of sin. And Paul does a wonderful thing here. Uh, He makes a shift in grammar. Uh, In the first two verses, he says to Titus, remind the believers to submit. Uh, He uses they language. Uh, They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. And we'd expect him to say in verse 3, they were foolish and disobedient. But he doesn't do that. He makes a little shift. He puts it in the first person plural. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Paul says to Titus, not just the people of Crete, this is you, Titus, this is me. And you know what? This is me too. Uh, This is what I'm capable of. You look at verses three and the description there, apart from the grace and power of God, I'm here to tell you that would be my life. And the key word there is the word slave. Uh, Paul talks about this elsewhere in the New Testament. I I do the very things that I don't want to do. Apart from the power and the grace of God in my life, no matter how bad I want to do good, I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. I'm a slave. Do you ever find yourself doing things that you don't want to do? In 12-step programs, the first step is 
I'm not powerful enough to control all my thoughts or feelings or actions on my own. Uh, in some area of my life, I am out of control. Uh, and it's not just addicts who need to make this confession. There are other areas of life where we can't perfectly control our thoughts, feelings, or behaviors. Uh, let me just give you some areas to consider. Eating, anger, fear, uh, shopping, spending, manipulation, uh, pride, envy, pace of life, uh, a bad habit. You see, the truth about you and me is in some area or another, we're out of control. And apart from the power of God, we would be completely out of control. Would you just imagine for a moment what it would be like to have the restraining power of God removed from your life? No whispers of the Holy Spirit to make your conscience tender, uh, no Bible to give you support, no church to encourage and guide you. Imagine the worst darkest, most destructive tendencies that you are capable of and give them unhindered sway over your body and your life until they become habits a thousand times stronger than they are right now, unchecked by any power with no regret, no remorse. That would be me. That would be you. And so I just want to remind you today, instead of taking it for granted, think about where you would be if God left you on your own what sin would do to you. But God did not leave you on your own. Look at this beautiful phrase in verse four. But when God our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And in this phrase, Paul goes from our need for salvation, the doctrine of sin, to the source of salvation. This is called the doctrine of justification, the source of salvation. He saved us. That's the key phrase in this whole passage. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. It may be that everything you have in your life, you've had to earn the hard way. Uh, maybe pretty much everything you've received in your life is a result of sweat and hard work. Well, not this. This is a gift. But I want to ask you for a moment to imagine if it were not so. Imagine where you would be if God was not a merciful God, but a hard God. Imagine if your destiny hinged on your righteousness. Imagine the anxiety and the fear of never knowing whether or not you were good enough to make the cut. Imagine knowing that no matter how hard you try, you could never please God. Never. You would never be adequate. You would never be acceptable in his eyes. I mean, that's where we would be. But, Paul says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of what we have done, but because of his mercy. A little later during this service, we're going to take communion. And when you eat the bread that Jesus said was his body broken for you, and when you drink the cup that Jesus says was his blood poured out for you, uh, it's not to be done lightly. Uh, it's your salvation that we remember and we celebrate. It represents his kindness and love toward us in going to the cross. It's because of his mercy that we actually have salvation. All right, let's read on the second half of verse five. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And this is another part of the wonder of salvation. He goes from our need for it, the doctrine of sin, 
to the source of it, justification, and now the ongoing result of salvation. Uh, this is what's called the doctrine of regeneration, the ongoing result of salvation. And the idea is just being made alive. Uh, to regenerate something is to, to bring it to life, a renewal by the Holy Spirit. You've been brought to life from spiritual death to spiritual life. Um, that's something to remember every once in a while. I used to be dead in my sins, but now, thank God, I'm alive. And only God can do this. I heard a story that I like a lot. Uh, it's a story of a scientist who's arguing with God, and the scientist says, you know, the human race is so smart, we no longer need you. Uh, we could do anything you can do. And God says, well, I did create life from the dust of the earth. And the scientist says, well, we've learned so much about the emergence of life from amino acids and the animation of tissue. Uh, I could go into a lab and create life just like you did. And God says, all right, go ahead and try. And the scientist reaches down and scoops up a handful of dirt. And God says, no, you've got to start with your own dirt. <laughs> Only God could bring physical life from nothing. Only God could bring spiritual life from spiritual death. Only God could regenerate souls that were sick from sin. So this week, notice the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit at work, renewing you. You know, every time you have an aspiration or desire to be a better person, uh, every time you experience a spark of gratitude, uh, every time you're convicted of sin and moved to repent, anytime you serve someone, any occasion where you would be tempted to lie, but you speak the truth instead, that's not just a coincidence. Uh, that's nothing to be, be taken for granted. Uh, that's no uh, tribute to your own character. That is salvation at work. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit washing over you. Think about where you would be without the Holy Spirit renewing and regenerating you. It's important to reflect on this because we need to live with this kind of wonder every day. All right, and we'll look at the next aspect of the wonder of salvation in just a moment. Maybe you're hearing some of this for the first time about sin and the need for salvation, Jesus as the source of that salvation, and the new life you can find in him. While Matt's been talking, you have felt something inside of you wanting to respond. You just don't know how. Or you've heard all of this before from time spent in church or a friend, but you weren't interested. And today, it's different. Today, you're leaning in. A decision to follow Jesus is not a ritual you have to go through or a process you have to complete to make it valid. It's simply placing your faith in the person and the work of Jesus. And you can do that right now, right where you are. In your own words, Tell God you accept the gift he's offered through the sacrifice of Jesus, and you're placing your faith in him. I'm not going to promise that the challenges in your life will, are magically going to disappear, but I will promise you this. You will not be alone, ever. That's part of the wonder of salvation in Jesus. If you make this decision today, please let us know. You can email me at scotthouseatblueoakschurch.org. We'd love to encourage you, answer questions you may have, and provide you with some resources that will guide you with next steps to take in your new journey 
with Jesus. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue our look at Titus chapter 3. All right, there's another key aspect of the wonder of our salvation in these few verses. Uh, There's our need for it, the doctrine of sin. There's the source of it, the doctrine of justification. Uh, There's the ongoing result of it, the doctrine of regeneration. But then there's the future part, our future hope, uh, the goal of salvation. Look at the second half of verse 7. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. We become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Paul says in Romans 8, 17, And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Think about that. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. There are three little letters that are very popular in the San Francisco Bay Area, IPO. Uh, Do you know what they stand for? Initial Public Offering. A company gets started and it operates privately, but the day may come when it goes public. It offers stock. And on that day, the day of the IPO, when things work out right, fortunes get made, destinies get assured. Uh, People that were pretty low on the org chart become millionaires because of IPOs. College graduates used to look for big companies with long-time security, and they're looking now for startup companies where they can get rich in one day. An IPO is the chance of a lifetime, but they're never a sure thing. Well, the day is coming when Wall Street and NASDAQ and the S&P 500 will experience an eternal correction, and Microsoft will get exceedingly micro. And the kingdom of God is going to go public. And people who have invested wisely, you and me, will see the face of God. And will know treasures that moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. This is a sure thing. Imagine that you had no hope. Imagine for a moment living under the reality that this world and all that is in it had no meaning at all. Uh, you, your children, all you love were just a collection of atoms that had no purpose, no future. That's where we would be without hope. That's where we would be without salvation. But we have this sure and certain hope. Uh, you've been made an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. This is a trustworthy saying, a sure thing. So today, I want to remind you that every time you experience hope, every time discouragement comes but it doesn't get the upper hand, every time you open your eyes and decide that you will face another day, every time you experience an inner surge of resolve to keep going, it's no accident, it's no coincidence, it's no tribute to your own perseverance. It is the gift of hope that salvation brings. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says. He says, stress these things. Make sure people remember. Don't take it for granted. Don't forget the wonder of your salvation. And then there's one other thing. Uh, There's a command that flows out of this goodness. It's very important to remember how good our salvation is, but there's a command as well. Uh, It's not just something for us to remember and enjoy. There's one command that summarizes all of his other commands, uh, both in this chapter and elsewhere in the book of Titus. This command is so important that Paul repeats it three times in this chapter alone. And it's so simple. Uh, I would actually be embarrassed to teach it except that it's in scripture. Uh, So let me just read it to you. 
look at it with me, the verses where it's contained. See if you can pick it out. It's repeated three times. Look at verse one. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Now look at verse eight. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. Then scroll down at verse 14. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. Do you know what it is? Do you see it? Do what is good. Uh, in the first verses, verses one and two, it's in the context of people outside the church as citizens being subject to rulers and authorities, as neighbors and witnesses, do what is good. And then in verse eight and 10, Paul turns his attention to dealing with those inside the church. Uh, he goes on in verse 10 and 11 to talk about divisive people in the church. And you'll notice that they're to be dealt with very seriously because when you're dealing with a brother or sister in the church, do what is good. And in verse 13 and 14, be helpful at work and daily opportunities for service. Look at verse 13. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer. Uh, be ready to help someone, even if it's a lawyer, Paul says. <laughs> the Greek word is the word karpus. Uh, we get our word carp, uh, scum-sucking, garbage-eating, bottom feeder. Uh, that's their word for lawyer. Uh, no, I just made that up. That's, that's not true. I just made that up. But Paul says, help them do what is good. You know, sometimes, you know what? I think we make the Christian life so complicated and we get stuff so knotted up and, and then we come to a statement like this. This is not rocket science. This is God's simplest command. Do what is good. This is what Jesus did. And think of the difference it would make for you and me if we were to go through life with this one little prayer. God, whatever is good. God, I just want to do whatever is good. God, help me to know and pursue whatever is good in this moment. And then in the next moment. And then in the next moment. And so I have a challenge for you and for me each day this week. Make this your prayer. Whatever is good. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, remember the wonder of your salvation. Remember where you would be without Christ. Remember that the Holy Spirit is washing and renewing you right now. And say a little prayer tomorrow morning. Just say, all right, God, I'm going to go through this day, this one day, and I'm going to be ready to do what is good. You can do that. When you go to work, uh, whether you work at home or at the office or wherever, uh, you may want to write down these words and put them on your desk. Just do what is good. And be ready to work diligently, like Paul says in verse 14. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others, then they will not be unproductive. It may be at work that you'll be interrupted. I wonder for you what happens in you when you're interrupted. Are, you, are your first thoughts, I'm ready to do what is good? Uh, you know, it's a fascinating study. Uh, go through the gospel sometime and see how many times Jesus was interrupted. See how many times he's stopped by someone on his way to do something else. Those become some of the most memorable and explosive moments in his life in kingdom history. When you're interrupted, just stop for a moment and say a prayer, God, I am ready to do what is good. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the ministry of interruptions. So how do you handle interruptions? 
Do you handle them the way Jesus would if he were in your place? Listen to what Bonhoeffer writes. Nobody's too good for the lowest service. Those who worry about the loss of time entailed by such small external acts of helpfulness are usually taking their own work too seriously. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God, who will thwart our plans and frustrate our ways time and again, even daily, by sending people across our paths with their demands and requests. We can pass them by being preoccupied with our more important daily tasks, just as the priest, perhaps reading the Bible, passed by the man who had fallen among robbers. It is part of the school of humility that we offer a hand where it can perform a service. So how are you doing at the ministry of interruptions? There are people uh, in your life right now who could use a word of encouragement or a note or something you could do to serve them. Now, maybe you'll stop and serve that person. Uh, Maybe you'll not be able to. Uh, Maybe you have other commitments that mean it would not be probably a good thing to stop. But I just wanna encourage you, just ask for wisdom for a moment before you respond. Just stop and ask, God, I wanna do what is good. How should I respond in this situation? Tomorrow, every time you use your credit card to buy lunch, to shop, to respond to a need, just pause for a minute. I just want to do what is good. Tomorrow, every time you open your mouth and you're about to speak, just say that little prayer. I only want to speak what is good. You know, Paul writes to Titus, there are many other things under this category. Uh, Slander no one, no gossip, uh, avoid foolish uh, controversies, uh, avoid unproductive arguments, no useless quarrels, Uh, Speak only what is good. You know, maybe you'll have a real quiet day tomorrow if you're real serious about this. But what a good day it will be. The writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 25.11, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And that's all Jesus ever spoke. Like what a day would it be if you only spoke what was good. When you have a few moments of free time, just pause and ask God, do you have anything for me to do? Do you have any act of service you would like me to perform? And I wanna ask you to remember one other thing. So number one, remember the wonder of your salvation. Second, remember to do what is good. And third, I wanna ask you to remember all the people who do not yet know the wonder of salvation. Because I'll make a confession, sometimes I get used to a lot of people not knowing. Sometimes I just get used to it. Uh, Sometimes you and I get used to people that we know that we work with or play with or live next door to and we forget that they have no forgiveness of sin. They have never tasted God's mercy. Uh, They live day after day without the presence or renewal of the Holy Spirit. And what's worse, they are not co-heirs. They face an eternity without Christ and without hope. And sometimes we just get used to it. Uh, We just hardly even notice. I think one of the most amazing things about Jesus is he never got used to it. He never got used to a fallen world. He never got used to people dying and going to hell. He always noticed people far from God and he loved them and he lived for them and he wept for them and he died for them. And I wonder what if you and I noticed them like Jesus noticed them? You know, we have a great opportunity coming up here at Blue Oaks. Uh, I talked to someone who recently made a decision to follow Jesus at Blue Oaks. He said he loves coming to Blue Oaks on Sunday. He said it's like God is speaking directly to him every week. 
Well, we have a huge opportunity coming up. We're starting a new series next week on the wonder of Christmas. Uh, This is a time when people are open to starting to attend church. More people decide to go to church around Christmas time than almost any other time of the year. And I'm really excited about this series because we all want to experience wonder at this time of the year. And I believe over the next days and weeks, the Holy Spirit will whisper to you, be bold, share your faith, make an invitation. I believe the Spirit who is renewing you right now will prompt you to invite someone. And so I just wanna remind you, uh, pray and listen and don't shrink back and don't ever get used to people living and dying apart from God. All right, so between now and next week, let's just make a covenant. Uh, Until our next service, we will not forget the wonder of our salvation. We will remember and we will reflect on the wonder of our salvation. Also, until our next service, our prayer will be, God, whatever is good, I'll do it. Whatever is good. And lastly, let's remember those who are far from God. Uh, Let's notice them the way that Jesus noticed them. And let's make some invitations. All right, now I'm going to say a prayer, and then Michaela is going to lead us in a song, and then Scott will lead us in communion. God, I pray that you would help us to remember the wonder of our salvation. And I pray that that would impact how we live our lives, how we interact with you, how we uh, interact with people around us. God, help us to remember. And God, I pray that you would uh, remind us as we're going throughout our day to just turn to you and to pray, God, whatever is good, help us to do that. Help us to do whatever is good. We want to follow you in that. And so God, I pray that you would interrupt us in some ways this week. And those would be divine interruptions. And it would be really clear that you want us to do something for you, to love others, to care for them, to serve them. So I pray that you would make that really clear to us uh, what it is that we need to do to follow uh, your leading and do whatever is good. And God, I pray this week as we see and interact with people who are far from you, I pray that you would break our hearts for them the way that Jesus loved them and interacted with them. Help us to do the same. And God, I pray that we would have spiritual conversations and we would be able to share our faith. And I pray that we would extend invitations so that people can come to Blue Oaks and experience what it is that we experience every week. The moving of your Holy Spirit and the listening of your voice and worship of you. And uh, I pray that changed lives would occur uh, as a result of these invitations. So go out with us and before us and lead us this week. And we look forward to what you're going to do. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.